0: You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again on Overtime Media. And it looks like we are live. Going to give uh, the wanna Beast behind the scenes just a second to add in the Facebook group. Looks like... We have green check marks all the way across the board. Mile high. Hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host Lance Sanderson and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague and mile high huddle senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, dude, I tell you what, man, I with the fourth coming up, th- with work and everything going on, moving into the house, I'm beat, dude. I'm so beat. I'm so tired. I'm ready for a good long weekend, and I have Monday off, so really looking forward to having a little bit of time to hang out with the family, get some rest and everything. How are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited for the three-day weekend, but now I every day is a three-day weekend. I don't work Mondays anymore, so nice. No, no big special thing for me. But uh, I'm excited for the weekend. Hopefully, it's not all rainy and cruddy outside. I think that's what the the forecast is going to be. I'd like to take my daughter to her to the uh, local parade and everything like that, because unfortunately, her birthday Tuesday we or Monday we had to cut it short because bad weather. And so, hopefully, we don't have that happen again, and we're able to go out and spend some time as a family and just enjoy the day
0: yeah I mean it's gonna be great I honestly it's gonna be great for me and the boys anyways unfortunately my uh Samantha my wife she has to work this weekend so she's not going to be able to be around for the most part but we're gonna go over to lander um Lander Wyoming they have a huge celebration gigantic fourth of the Fourth of July parade um it, it's I mean it, it's huge literally huge like most people across the nation actually know what's going on land in Lander Wyoming so we're gonna go check that out I've never actually been I've lived here for a couple of years I've never actually been to that so we're gonna go t- I'm gonna Take the boys over there. Uh, maybe go play some pogo and uh, and and have some fun. Go walk up and down the street and hang out for a little bit, and then blow some stuff up for the for the Fourth of July on Sunday. But really, I mean, I'm just excited to ha- to have some time to to relax for a minute. I'm going to mow the yard probably on on Saturday and whatnot. But for the most part, I'm tired of moving stuff around. I really am. It's I'm tired of lifting up heavy heavy cases of pop and and moving beds and everything like that. I'm just looking forward to having some time to relax and have a barbecue and and enjoy some family time. So really looking forward to that. But guys, um, today we have kind of an interesting show for you guys. I don't, it, it, as if you've been living under a rock, I apologize for that, but everybody should know, uh, the, the, the Brittany or not Brittany Bullen, it was Beth Bullen, Wallace and Amy Clemmer versus the, the Bro the Pat Bullen trust, uh, situation and the ownership situation with the, with the Denver Broncos, um, that, that court, that court date has been stayed. And that means that we don't, we're not exactly sure what all that means right now, but there is a potential possibility that the Broncos could be sold. Now, Eric, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the legal ramifications from this and what it all exactly means. Is there anything that you can shed some light upon what's going on with the Broncos at all?
1: Not really. I think eventually they're going to be sold, which is leading into our topic here. I think eventually because the bowling kids, they just can't get everything all together I think that eventually they're going to be sold. We're going to have new owners in town, which is sad. I, w- I would have loved to have seen them stay in the and family, but uh, don't always get what you want, you know? So uh, as for the legal stuff that I'm not very familiar with it, it's one thing that I haven't really, you know, really haven't dug into. I, I've heard, kept up with it on Twitter, all the news and the updates and stuff like that, but never really like dug into what it all means. So it's going to be a fun conversation tonight to be talking about potential owners if they do sell, which is again, where I think that they're headed
0: right I, I actually agree with that I do think that this is probably looking towards it they've, they've reached a settlement or some kind between um Beth Bowen Wallace and, and Amy Clemmer and um and Brittany Bowen and Joe Ellis and, and the rest of the Broncos trust and trying to figure out the, the the proper direction of going with this Broncos team and I think that honestly in the in this situation just because as you kind of alluded to the with the Bowen kids not necessarily getting along there's some bad blood between everybody there's a lot of um miscommunication that's going on there's some dirty laundry that could potentially be aired out like the best thing that could really happen to the broncos right now is for them to to go for sale which is unfortunate because i mean as soon as you walk into the building they have a big a big you know, sign and uh, a big picture of of Pat Bullen, and it's his favorite quote. I want to be number one in everything like this, this this Broncos team, as we know it since 1984 has been the Pat Bullen legacy. And unfortunately it seems like that might be coming to an end, you know, and there's, there's a lot of information out there, guys. I don't want to get into, into everything on that. I mean, I, I will say that it's been a, a battle for a long time now. This is, you know, two, three, four years in the making now. Um, Pat Bowen passed away in 2019. So it really kind of heated up a couple of years ago, but still, I mean, this is a, this is an interesting, interesting time that the Broncos are going to be coming into. and, quite honestly, there's there's a couple of really prime candidates here that we can talk about as far as if, if the Broncos do go for sale, they, they, get, they could actually come in and buy the team and turn the direction of the team around. Now, the, the first one is obviously Jeff Bezos, and, and the, he's the, the Amazon guy, the, the founder and CEO of Amazon. He's got more money than anybody knows what to do with. Now, Eric, I know that you have some words about Jeff Bezos. I'm not going to go into any detail on that. I'll let you do that. But what are your thoughts on Jeff Bezos?
1: I mean, keeping it strictly to football and everything like that, I don't know. He just doesn't – this is going to sound kind of weird or whatever. I'm not sure what the right word is. He's not. He doesn't fit my image of what I want for an owner of the Broncos. Right. Um, there's been things going around that he was interested in buying either the Seahawks or the um, Washington football team. But, I mean, I'll, it's a hard pass for me on him for the Broncos. If he ends up being the Broncos buyer – I'll be very disappointed. Obviously, I'm not going to stop being a fan, and he'll get a chance to see, kind of see, for me to see what he will do with the team and everything. But yeah, I'm just not—I'm not super interested in him um, dealing with stuff from Amazon and a bunch of other things. Like it's—I'd rather not.
0: I don't know enough about Jeff Bezos to, to really speak on the matter, but I know that they, I mean, they hire pretty much anybody to come and work for him. They pay a very competitive wage. They like, there's, there's some things to like about Jeff Bezos, but there's also some other things to like just politically about him. And I'm not going to get into that. That's not my place. It's not my, you know, that's not my thing to tell you what, how to think or anything like that. But there, there are some questions about Jeff Bezos and would he actually be a guy that would really focus on the Broncos as a, a you know, I want this team to win. I want them to, to to be the best and to compete for championships and continue on that Pat Bowling legacy of we're going to be number one in everything, you know, like I don't necessarily think that he's going to be that guy. I I really don't. And it's, I I think he's looking for another business opportunity and quite honestly, it's almost like like with Dick Monfort and the Colorado Rockies where Dick Monfort makes his money in meat processing and, and and cattle ranching and the, the agricultural industry. The Colorado Rockies, while he does make money off of that, they're a tax write-off to him. He doesn't necessarily invest the way that he should. And we all know the Nolan Arenado situation, which played a hand in what happened yesterday. Like the, With Jeff Bezos, I think that that might be the same kind of direction that this team would go. Eric, what do you think about that?
1: I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with it. One of the reasons why I don't like Jeff Bezos for the team is is I don't think he'll put the team first. I think it'll be very much like the owner of the Rockies, just a tax write-off. Maybe he'll put some money into it, try and be competitive, but I don't think it will be the focus of them. And that's one thing when, when Pat Bullen ended up with the Broncos, it became a focus to win. And that's what I want, is I want an owner who's going to put the focus, put the right. bring in the culture that if you're not winning, if you're not first, you're last, you know, to, uh, from Talladega Knights, like, that's kind of how it is. That's kind of the mindset that I want with my sports team. And uh, just go from there. And Moron said, who reported to Bezos is interested or just speculating? Um, Bezos has been linked to buying the Broncos since Pat Bowen stepped away um, yeah. back in 2017 or 2018. And it's just been consistently um, linked to him, been reported. Mike Cliz reported it um a while back i mean troy rank like all these guys they all the big time reporters they've all linked jeff bezos to the broncos he's been around for a while he had some interest in the jaguars there yeah i mean he's and the panthers as well so he's just been constantly linked
0: well he's been linked to the washington football team to the seattle seahawks as well the jacksonville he was uh, linked to houston there for a little while after bud adams died um uh, uh the titans there with uh I forget her name, um, the daughter that that ended up taking over the control of the team and, and their trust. They actually have a trust kind of similarly with the uh, Denver Broncos. However, they do have a, a formal CEO and chairman, which would then uh, lead them away from getting the up to $10 million in fines. Guys, I wrote an article at uh highlighting that the NFL actually put some new sanctions in about uh, – how ownership situations work, you have to be active in in part of the league conversation. You have to be active in uh, in a multitude of different committees and stuff like that. And if you don't have a formal CEO or a formal chairman or someone that's actually the front primary uh, owner in the in control of the team, uh, the the NFL could levy fines worth of up to like ten million dollars a season. And the Broncos right now. With the with the Pat and trust, they just don't have that kind of money, and with the Bullens, they don't have that kind of money either. Like you're gonna have to find an owner here soon. So this is, this conversation is very real. Like it's it's not just a oh we're speculating on on anybody that could be potentially interested. Like these this has to happen very soon. So these guys, uh, the guys that we've got here, we got three of them today. Jeff Bezos was just one of them, uh, and with him being linked to multiple different teams at multiple different times, uh, it, it obviously bring some light to the situation just a little bit here. But at the same time, like this is a conversation that we definitely need to have. Um, uh, Elon Musk is another one that I've, I've seen some, uh, seen some interesting stuff as well, but I don't think so. But he's it's the same we...
1: thing. It's the same thing as Jeff Bezos and right. Charlie Beagle actually kind of hit it. Guys like Bezos and Musk don't seem like they'd be interested in something as mundane as sports, except as some kind of business. And that's exactly right. That's the feeling I get with them. And Elon Musk, especially like, they're just not guys that I think that would put the team first and just use it as extra extra money being brought in. Like just just a no for me.
0: Right. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. Elon Musk has his, his eyes on outer space and let him let him go play with his toys and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong. I love Elon Musk and what he's doing. But at the same time, just let him let him go do his thing and stay away from the Denver Broncos. Let's go win some football games. But before we move on to the next topic of conversation, guys, I want to say hello to everybody that's in the chat. Charlie Beagle just jumping in here for a second. We've got uh, Greg Smith. Jumping in here saying hello to Michael Ronquillo, who has been in here for multiple days in a row. Gary Leeds Palmer over on Facebook as well. Yo, Broncos Country and DVDD Priest. We appreciate you, uh, Gary, for joining us tonight as well. Uh, Josh Alstrom jumping in here on YouTube uh, EJ Dave Glassman uh, Let's see here, Jason O'Neill. How's it going? Broncos country, Jason, how you doing? We appreciate you for joining us tonight. Uh, Mo obviously, as we uh, just talked about him for a minute, Michael as well, Robert Caslow, um, I'm jumping in to say hello, Claude Riley on Facebook. What's going on, guys? Thank you all for joining the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We really appreciate your guys' uh, support and all your guys' attention. You guys come on and and we have we have really good deep football conversations. That's what we do here on on this show. So, uh, Jay Kozat as well. Hello from Jay uh, Jetty Splash. What's going on, man? How you doing? So, uh, thank you all for joining us again on the Dove Valley Deep Divers. Now, there are two options here, Eric, that I want to get to. Um, the first being Robert F. Smith. He is an investor that has Colorado roots. He is actually from the Denver area. He was uh, he was born in 1962. He's a I, I think he's a technology mogul. Um, he was in the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Industry, the Air Products and Chemical Chemicals. He's a chemical engineer. He's worth about 8.65 billion dollars. That's as of June in 2021. So just uh, this last month. Um, He is uh, the founder of Vista Equity Partners They're a private equity and venture capital firm Of which, uh, let's see here According to Black Enterprise Magazine Smith is credited, uh, credited with consistently generating A 30% rate of return for his investors From the uh, company's inception to 2020 He is actually one of the richest minorities In the entire United States This is a very intriguing option Eric, what do you think of Robert F. Smith?
1: I like him. He's a local guy, and one of the other big things for me is that I want an owner who's not going to sit there and be a risk to move the team, and being a local guy, I don't think he would. Now, I saw somebody mention Peyton Manning, and now this is where I think Peyton Manning could come in. I don't think Robert F. Smith could go out and outright buy the team by himself. He would definitely have to have a group as part of it, and I think Peyton Manning, that's where he can come in. Buy a small part of it, have a role within the team, and that's his way in. But I really like Um, Robert Smith, um, reading up on him, I started reading up on him about a year ago, I think is when it was, I I really liked what I came with. Whenever whenever he does, he always goes 110% into, and that's what I want for an owner, a guy who's going to come in and go put everything into it, and that's just what he's done with every single thing, and I did see somebody mention about why would the um, trust sell, and I just want to throw this out there real quick is like they may not have a choice. They the don't NFL have a has choice. multiple the NFL has multiple times said that they will step in and I think they're getting close to that point of yeah, we're going to step in and force the sell of the team.
0: Yeah, they actually don't have a choice. This was actually all planned out by Pat Boland. There was a certain point in time. It's not necessarily that uh he set a certain date by any stretch of the imagination, but there was supposed to be an appointed owner through the Pat Boland trust and quite honestly, the the one that they really wanted to be the the new step-in owner was, uh, was Brittany Bolin, Pat Bolin's daughter. She's about my age. I'm 30. She might be 32, 33, something like that. She'd be one of the youngest owners in all of, uh, the NFL, if not the youngest owner in the NFL and one of two, uh, primary owners that are female. So that would be a great option for them. Um, but with Pat Bowling and the Pat Bowling Trust, there was a lot of big stipulations on, on becoming uh, the owner. If you wanted to be one of the Bowling kids to step up, you had to spend like five years within the league in front office situations. You had to be on multiple different committees. There was a lot of time spent that you had to do. You had to have certain uh, certain degrees from college. And Brittany Bowling has been slowly checking off this list. And that's why it's turned into this, this big lawsuit because – Beth Boland Wallace, she's uh, one of Pat Boland's daughters from an earlier uh, an earlier marriage or an earlier relationship, and she believes that she has already gotten those requirements. And there's uh, there's a lot to go and and dig into this, guys. That you really need to go if you really want to understand everything. And I don't even understand at all. I just know uh, some of the cliff notes for the most part. This this litigation, this this lawsuit that actually just got stayed the other day is a big part of, well, we don't agree on which Bolin child is going to be the one that actually takes over as the primary owner because Pat Bolin wanted the Broncos to stay in the family. He didn't actually want him to sell. Now the NFL is starting to step in and they're starting to levy all these fines, $10 million a year, as I said earlier, you know, and... Where is that money going to come from? There's just no possible way for them to do that. So it's not that necessarily they, the, 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 Bron- the, the Pat Bullen Trust doesn't have a choice, but I don't think that they really do. Th- this is going to, this is going to happen. It's probably going to happen relatively soon. I mean, we might hear an announcement on why this, this, this jury trial was stayed within the next couple of weeks. Like this, this could, this could be a, a thing where the Broncos go for sale within the next month.
1: Yeah. And I want to clear up. My statement I made about the Broncos potentially moving with the owner and how I like Robert F. Smith because he's a guy who's a low guy won't want to move them is I understand that it's a great place. It's making money and everything like that. But if an owner wants to move, they can go through that process. I mean, they could get denied by the NFL and other owners. There's a lot to it. But I mean, it doesn't have to be where the fans just stop showing up for them to move. And that's one reason why is I don't even want to have to go through that process. I don't even want to have to sit there and think that the owner may want to move the team. That's what I was getting at. I don't want that to be an option. So I want the local guy. That's what I was getting at with it.
0: Right. And I don't know where Robert F. Smith is located as of now. I do know that he is from Denver and from all accounts, he's actually a Broncos fan. He wants the, like he wants to be a part of the Broncos that, I mean that, that might be the natural transition. We got a, a super chat coming in here for Dennis Woods. Um, I read that the Broncos was sold for over $3 billion. If Smith's worth is eight and a half billion, he would, would he invest one third of his worth? So this actually brings up a very interesting point. And Dennis, I appreciate the comment here and, and the super chat. We appreciate your support. Uh, So any team or any person that wants to buy an NFL team has to actually have one third of the money in cash in, in cash allowance, essentially to put into escrow. So at, Eight and a half billion dollars. If the sale is three billion, that's almost fifty percent of what Robert F. Smith is worth. So that's a very interesting conversation. Now I don't necessarily know if that would be, you know, a uh, so essentially that would be one billion dollars. If the sale is one billion, so one billion dollars that would be uh, so one eighth. I'm sorry for saying uh, one third, but. Uh, so uh, one one eighth of his worth, is that something that he would be interested in doing and then remaining the the, the standard upkeep of the stadium? He's obviously going to be bringing money in. This is the NFL, so he's going to be part of TV deals and stadium revenue, um, ticket revenue and everything like that. So uh, essentially and eventually it's going to repay itself back. It might take 25, 30 years to do it, but... I, I don't know. I, I really don't, Eric. What do you think about that? Would, would would investing a a billion dollars up front to buy the Broncos, if you're Robert F. Smith, be worth
1: it to you? I think so. I think I think it's gonna you're gonna make your money back before long, and it's a good investment. I mean, sports teams consistently are. It's one thing that uh, I mean. I know that there's a concern that that's going to go away concussions and multiple other things, but I don't think that football is going away anytime soon. No, if anything, it's just going to continue to grow and get more and bring in more money. Like, so, yeah, I mean, if I had that kind of money, I would do it. And I try to do it in a heartbeat, try to buy the team.
0: Well, and I mean, he could live on $5 billion as Kenneth Patterson, uh, Kenneth Patterson astutely <laughs> points out. I mean, he's still got $5 billion. If he wants to buy the team outright, he can buy it outright. Like yeah. that, that's that's that's, def- but that's not smart business investing. You you don't you don't buy something. I mean, cash is king, but you you hold on to your money as long as you can in case something drastic happens. So I, I'm also not a financial and advisor. Stay away from that conversation, please.
1: Guys, stop with the Donald Trump stuff. Not trying to be political here or anything like that. Like I know it's brought up as sarcasm and uh, being sarcastic and everything, but like, come on, it's not going to happen. So come on, let's just move past that.
0: Yeah, that one. That one is uh, not, a, not a great one. Now, we do actually have another one here, and I want to get to this guy because I, I don't remember what stake he had that he pulled out of. It's another sports franchise. This is another local guy with Colorado roots. His name is Philip Anschutz. Um, he's an American billionaire businessman who owns and controls companies in a variety of industries, uh, including energy, railroads, real estate, sports, newspapers, movies, theaters, arenas. And in in music as well, um, he bought out his father's oil drilling company, Circle A Drilling, and made a big, big, uh, large returns in Wyoming. I'm reading this from his Wikipedia page, so I'd, let me get some credit here really fast. Um, he's invested in stocks, real estates, railroads, but he also has expanded his investments to sports. And he was one of the co-founders of major league soccer. And he's one of the co-founders of multiple different soccer teams, including the Los Angeles galaxy, (laughs) uh, the Colorado rapids, the San Jose earthquakes and the New York Metro stars. He's the principal owner of the Los Angeles Kings of the national hockey league and a minority owner of the Los Angeles Lakers of the national, national basketball association. So, He's got plenty of money. He's worth 10.4 billion dollars and I think it was he just pulled his money out of it was the Lakers or the Kings that he just pulled his pulled his uh his ownership stake out of. So this is a guy that with Colorado roots that has plenty of money to be able to do something like this and he's already tied to sports. This guy might be a guy that really would be look, uh, worth looking into.
1: And if I remember correctly, he was one of the people that was looking at putting a group together to try and buy the Carolina Panthers Yep, and he couldn't find people that he wanted to go in on with. So, I mean, again, we mentioned Peyton Manning. There you go. If he wants to go in as part of a group ownership, I, I this is another guy. Again, he's one that I don't think that we'd have to sit there and worry about any potential move, wanting to move. None, nothing like that. It, that's just out the window with him. Um, somebody mentioned in the, in the chat that he's part has part of the CU campus. That's something that actually uh Beast actually told us beforehand Yep. when um lance mentioned it before we went live he uh, mentioned that and everything so i mean definitely another name that i like and of those that are out there that have been mentioned and even unmentioned um Anschutz and and uh, robert f smith they're the two that i would appreciate the most to come in yeah they've got the money they've got the ability to put more finances into the team to try and do things to help better the team like they're not risks at moving it. They check all the boxes that I'm looking for as a potential owner, anyways.
0: Right, right. And and the big thing here is is the money. And take a look at what the Kansas City Chiefs have done here over the last few months, last year or so, and and giving out big money extensions to uh, to, to players like uh, to players like. Um, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill, you know, they got those big front loaded money extensions and stuff like that. What's what happens here is you have to have the money and the cash on hand to put that money into escrow to sign those contracts. So if you like and also have to pay the signing bonuses up front. So the Lamar Hunt family, they have a uh, they are like worth like 15 billion dollars. If they want to, you know, throw a sixty million dollar signing bonus at Tyreek Hill or or at at uh, Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, um, they have the ability to do that and not really blink an eye at it. These guys Robert F Smith and, and Philip Anschutz they have that kind of money where you can you can come in and you can really throw a big signing bonus get that money out of their pocket essentially and just throw it at a player and they don't have to pull that money out of the escrow account for the Broncos team itself. So you have to have an owner that's willing to and wants to be a, a, a part of the team itself. So having some local guys, some guys with ties to the Denver Broncos, ties to the local community, that's a big thing here, you know, like this Justin Simmons deal that just got signed, he had what 35 million guaranteed or something like that so 35 million dollars in guaranteed money has to go into escrow if you have a guy like robert f smith that's pocket change to him like quite honestly you're you're talking about a guy that has eight and a half billion dollars worth of net worth right now like he 35 million bucks that's i, I mean I, i'll find that in my couch sir so that's that's a big thing you have to, to pay attention to here as well and philip Anschutz has even more money to be able to do something like that so that's a that's a big thing here i want to grab this super sticker though john are you ready on that uh we've got Bronco 17 and 0 jumping in here with a $20 super sicker. My goodness, thank you for that and thank you for the donation. We appreciate you, man. Uh nothing to say. Just got the video game controller. Woot. Hey, I know uh Jeremy uh, Black Knight uh 323 or 232 whatever his name is going to really appreciate that. Eric, I know mm-hmm. you're kind of a video gamer as well. What are you playing here lately?
1: Mass Effect.
0: Mass Effect, which uh, what is it? Mass Effect 4 now?
1: No, it's Mass Effect the Legendary Edition.
0: Oh, okay. So you've got, you're, you're way above now. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I, the, the last Mass Effect game that I played was Mass Effect two. And, uh, I, I was actually playing with a buddy of mine when I was in college and he, he managed to go around and find all of the mining areas on all of the, uh, on every single planet. And he completed the game, the whole Mass Effect game, a hundred percent completion. Like yeah. it took him months and months I and actually, months to actually do it.
1: I was getting down to about the final three main missions in Mass Effect 3, and I actually started it over because I missed something and couldn't do it again. So, and I can't 100% it then. So, I actually restarted the game so I could 100% it.
0: Oh, man. I can't imagine the time that goes into that. A a game that I. Well, each
1: game is about 40, 60 hours each, at least. Right.
0: So uh, something that I, I – I've never really been a huge gamer. I played Madden, obviously, t- typical football nerd and whatnot. I'm not necessarily a very good gamer either. But a game that I really like is Rainbow Six Siege. I love the <laughs> the concept of that. Uh, you've got multiple games, uh, multiple guns and stuff that do different things. You've got operators that have different gizmos and gadgets and stuff like that. The whole world is destructible. You can create this massive labyrinth. It's just really fun. Uh, Muhammad, sorry guys for the video game talk there. Uh, we're, we kind of nerd out just a little bit here. Uh, Muhammad jumping in here, the King of the super stickers. That's my boy right there. he has been on the show once a couple times. he has been on uh, the huddle up podcast as well, coming in here with a mic drop super sticker. We appreciate you Mo for joining us tonight. Thank you for that. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up our conversation for the, uh, for the ownership situation, there was a really good question I got uh, hit up on Twitter today earlier by Jacob Doan. He was one of the uh, one of the winners of some merchandise giveaway that we that we did uh, a couple of months ago, and I'll, I'll just read you his text message to me. Uh, he says, hey, "Hey Lance, I'm just uh, just DMing here because it's too long for a regular post. I can't make the po- uh, the pod live tonight because I'm overseas, but I've got a question for you for you guys if you have some time. Uh, why do you, why do people hate on Pat Shermer so much?" The average fan saying that he sucks always rubs me the wrong way. I'm inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to someone that has done something for decades without clear evidence that he's not great at that thing. Like an example, uh, Vic Fangio's clock management or uh, Jack Del Rio's defensive coordination. Sure. Pat Shermer isn't McVay or Reed, but I don't think that he sucks. And I think it's hard to be super critical when you have a bottom 32 quarterback running the show on the field. I'd make Albert Einstein look like the worst math teacher if I was in charge of executing his formulas and theories. Now, Eric, you have this stigma, this reputation, this uh, and Jacob, thank you for a great question here. I wanted to get into this a long time ago. But Eric, you have this stigma of being a staunch Pat Shermer defender or a homer or whatever kind of words you want to put to it. So why don't you answer his question? Why do people hate on Pat Shermer so much?
1: Uh, Shermer is what he is. He's not a he's not gonna learn, he's an old dog that's not gonna learn new tricks. Um, he really sticks to what he does and doesn't go outside of that. And if you want to complain about him, your complaint is how he used players last year, especially Noah Fant and KJ Hamler. Yeah, that's where you want to complain. Now, as to why he gets so much hate, is because there's people out there that are sitting there and putting all 100% blame on him because they don't want to put blame on the quarterback. And now I'm not trying to sit there and say it's all Drew Locke's fault. Not trying to say that. Just saying is that these are guys that are trying to sit there and be apologetic for everything that Drew Locke did that was bad and say that it's Pat Shermer's fault. Coaching is probably one of the worst jobs in the NFL because it's always your fault. Always. Yep. You didn't develop the player. Well, we don't know if the player really wanted to learn or be developed or if they took to teaching, <clears throat> Pax and Lynch. We don't know how much desire they have. There's a whole bunch of evidence into it. But Pat Shermer, he's not a terrible coach. He's not a great one. I wouldn't even say really say that he's good. He's all right, and at moments he has some great moments as a coach. But it's it's just moments. It's there's no consistency there. So it's just there, there's figureheads in sports media, Broncos media that just sit there and they want to push the blame on somebody they don't want to blame court the because they threw their hand early on into the season i mean first game of it, and so they're claiming that drew locks the franchise quarterback and they're going to come out and they're going to sit there and say it's all pat Shermer's fault because they don't want to put it on drew lock because they made that claim so that's what it is i mean so
0: there is something to be said and i am a really staunch believer of that multiple things can be true at the same time um there, there can be faults for everybody. There can yeah. be faults for Drew Locke and his ability to not go through the reads. There can be a uh, fault for Pat Shermer for, you know, having his complex of verbiage that he has. And that was something that they addressed towards the latter part of the, the towards the, the end of the season about trying to pare down the verbiage and and pare down the reads and stuff like that. Not understanding that your quarterback is struggling with certain concepts um, and then also sticking with the same kind of similar concepts over and over now, th- those are, those are all faults of Pat Shermer. And there's also some faults of just the roster itself. I mean, not only drew lock and I'm, uh, you all know how I feel about him. We're not going to get there, but, uh, uh, just the, uh, like uh, the right tackle situation, losing Cortland Sutton is a big thing. Uh, Noah Fant playing banged up with ankle injuries. Uh, KJ Hamler having hamstring issues Uh, Jerry Judy dealing with some ankle injuries as well towards the latter half of the season. Like there there's multiple things can be true at the same time. Now in, in defense of Pat Shermer, there were multiple times where he schemed up something where someone was wide open and there was receivers missed all, especially over the middle of the field. And we talked about this last week, especially with drew lock. He likes to look to the boundaries. He doesn't really work the middle of the field very much. He does like to take the push the ball deep down the field. And Pat Shermer has those built-in deep shots on every single play. He does like to work the the crossing routes, the dig routes. So uh, dig routes, a 15 yard in route, uh, some slant routes, deep overs and stuff like that. Uh, and th- there's a there's a lot of different things that Pat Shermer does like to do to push the football towards the intermediate part of the field and especially down the field. So, yeah. to and- me. It, like you, you've got to, you got to understand. The, the, conceptually, what he's doing isn't dated and aged or anything like that. You've got to understand that like, it's just a lack of personnel and a lack of a quarterback to actually be able to do that. And he's really, nearly never had that opportunity. Daniel Jones was quarterback for him. He had Case Keenum there for a while. Sam Bradford, like, really give him a quarterback that can operate within that system and understand what's going on there. It's, it's, a, it's a different conversation if you ask me.
1: And Charlie, nobody ever said that Shermer is blameless. Nobody ever did. So get out of here with that bull crap. No, and one thing with Pat Shermer that obviously that always goes unmentioned with him is Drew Lock. Everybody everybody widely recognizes that over the last 5 games Drew Lock started to turn it around, right? You can agree with that. Yeah. Do they not realize that Pat Shermer is the reason why and what he did to help that? Yeah. Basically, he cut down to what is Oakley concepts. You have a single read. You're reading one safety, and you're either have take the high pass or the low pass, or you dump it off. All based off of what the see what the safety does, and it's only one half the field. Pat Shermer had to do that because he had a bottom thirty-two quarterback. Because after trying so hard, so many different things to try to get. Uh Drew Locke to work in his scheme, to run his system. Something that last year, multiple people praised that he fit because Drew Locke, if he could learn how to read a defense, he fits Pat Shermer's scheme very well. Very, He well. has the ability to push the ball downfield. He has the ability to hit those tight windows. He has the ability to take advantage of the spacing that Pat Shermer tries to do. But Drew Locke, we just didn't see the progress there. That, that, that's, that's a bummer. I mean, everybody wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. Everybody thinks did, I'm too. hit, but it was... Pat Shermer, that saw that improvement, he made this big change to it, um, curl routes, dig routes, and single reads, cutting the field in half, limiting the thinking that Drew Locke had to do, that's what happened, I mean, should he have done it earlier, sure, I mean, you could argue that Pat Shermer should have been doing that earlier, but you don't want to sit there and do this with your quarterback, because essentially, you're asking your quarterback to be a high school caliber quarterback to move the ball downfield.
0: Right. Uh, another thing, it just concepts. The, the concepts that he was using a, lo- a lot of Hank routes, a lot of, a, a lot of this dig route as Tommy's coming here, he says, uh, dig routes are picks when they're missed high. And yeah, the 15 yard in, if you miss high, especially in, in two high safeties, you're going to throw, you're going to throw a pick every time. And that was something that we saw with Drew Locke against the Oakland or the Las Vegas. I, I swear to God, I'm going to miss that every single time. The Las Vegas Raiders uh, in what was week 14 or 13, something like that when they were in Vegas, Drew Locke actually missed. It's a dagger concept, guys. So a dagger concept is you have two receivers to a certain side of the field. The receiver in the slot is going to run a post. The receiver on the boundary is going to run a dig route, okay? So you're going to clear out the middle safety, and then you're going to run a dig underneath behind that. Drew Locke missed it. He actually missed it. It was a too high coverage with a Tampa linebacker, so the middle linebacker is dropping back into coverage as well. He essentially threw a football – on a post route into triple coverage over the middle of the field. And it was KJ Hamler. He was throwing it to, and he overthrew KJ Hamler by about five yards. It was the very first interception he threw during that game. And if you miss high, especially over the middle of the field, it's not necessarily the dig route because the dig on that Tim Patrick was open by about five yards. If he sits in double pumps and throws the dig, it's a 15, 20 yard game on dagger concepts, the dig route is always open guaranteed. You're going to have one-on-one coverage and your wide receiver is going to beat. If you know how to hit your wide receiver, it's always open and you're going to gain 10, 12, 15 yards every single time. Dig routes when they're missed high though, you're absolutely right, Tommy. And I appreciate this concept or this comment, because if you miss a dig route high, you're going to throw it directly to a safety and it's, it's going to be, you, you might be lucky if you stop him before he hits the end zone.
1: And i am going to uh, grab this real quick from Colby before we get to that, um, the super chat here. Kobe says, when you have a bottom to mediocre offensive line, even b- behind this line would have, um, I'm assuming you meant struggled. Um, got to always got to love the blameless man who caused a dysfunction. Always not blameless either. I mean, there's no. a lot of blame for mm-hmm. it. And um, he went against some coaches wishes to try to get Pax and Lynch. Like there's a lot of blame there, but the Broncos offensive line, I mean, they started out rough, but they ended up being right around a top 10 unit. Like, offensive line around the league was actually not that great last year and they had one of the best left tackles their issues were on the inside which sucks but i mean they got better as the season went on i mean when you have a rookie center that kind of happens especially with the new right guard and then basically a complete musical chair game going on at right tackle it just happens Ryan. but the broncos offensive line they weren't great especially earlier on the season but last few games i mean talking about turning it around i mean melvin gordon in the offensive line the last yeah six, seven games yeah really, Killed it, but uh, before we get out here, let's grab the super chat. And before we continue ranting about Locke and Shermer and everything, Shermer's <laughs> not blameless, Shermer's not great, Shermer's not good, he's solid. Like Drew Locke, him, mean, he's not great, he's not good, he can be solid, he can be terrible. Like, he's right there in the middle, like, not far off from Pat Shermer's placement, really, on, on the scale of where that is. I mean, they're both kind of like blunt.
0: If Drew Locke plays well, he can be a top fifteen, top twelve quarterback. Like and that's you can win a lot of football games with that. I mean, the the Raiders have won a lot of football games Man. with Derek Carr. And the Broncos have a lot better surrounding cast than the Raiders do around Derek Carr. So if 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 you can get Derek Carr level play, seriously, this Broncos team is a playoff team. They really are. If you put Derek Carr on this team right now, tomorrow, the Broncos are a playoff team. Guaranteed.
1: And Charlie Beagle asked, Why were they averse to using Dotson at right tackle? Because he's a terrible run defender. We said that multiple times on Dove Valley Deep Divers. Dotson was atrocious as a run as a run blocker. I mean, whenever they ran to him, they I believe they averaged just barely one yard running behind Dotson. So
0: like, that, that, was, that
1: was one of the worst in the NFL. That's why they were they didn't want to use him. As good as he was as a pass blocker, they couldn't run to his side, and it hurt the run game overall.
0: That's that's why you saw in the Miami game, and that was the the incorporation. And this is another defense of Pat Shermer here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna actually put this one out there: the the pin pull running game is what you saw against the Miami defense, and that was when the Broncos running game really started to take off because they weren't using Demar Dotson in the zone running game and stretching the field that way. What they were doing was having him crash down and cut block on a defensive lineman and pulling a guard or pulling even Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles pulled in the in the Miami Dolphins game probably ten times on running plays to the right side because they understood that Damar Dotson isn't agile enough. He's not a good enough of a mover as a run blocker to get out in front and go and block somebody, a linebacker at the second level. So let's just have George. you cut down the defensive end. You just cut block the defensive end. We're going to pull a, a guard or a Garrett Bowles off the ass end of you and get them out in front, kick out the linebacker. And then here comes Melvin Gordon. And that's where really like honestly the Miami game was really the turnaround of the Broncos offense because Pat Shermer finally figured out a way to use the running game to help set everything up. Like seriously, like go back and watch that. It was so amazing when that, when Melvin Gordon started finding those big holes down the right side, it was because they were running pinpole plays plain and simple.
1: And I got to say, it's like, it was kind of funny to see that happening because I remember just after everything happened with Juwan James and he decided to opt out and then Elijah Wilkins injury. I remember in the group chat, you and Carl were talking up Dotson, and I kept talking about how terrible of a run run blocker he is. Yeah. And both of you just kind of like, "Oh yeah, yeah we, we, he should be better here." Hmm. Yeah. Right. Well. Anyways, uh, Dennis came and asked, "Where in Alaska I live?" Um, I live in a city that also has a river and a peninsula named after me. Should be pretty easy to figure out. <laughs>
0: <that>. <laughs> and so, and, Lance's dog. Yes. Yes, my dog, and my also dog, a bear name. in a movie. Yep, that's true too. All right, so we got to get Josh's uh, Josh's super chat here with a three dollars super. Uh, Drew Locke was more accurate deep too in the last five games. Um, yeah, you're not wrong there, and and Drew Locke is actually for for what he does. He where the the highest efficiency with him was with the, with the deep passing because he did it a lot. I mean, his average depth of target was nine and a half yards down the field. So you're already throwing the ball deep down the field. The problem is deep throws are very inefficient, like all the way around for an offense. And we talked about this last week as well. Uh, If you're hitting on 40% of your deep passes, you're doing a great job. And 40% for balls thrown 15, 20 plus yards down the field. If you're 40%, you're doing a really good job. If you're throwing, you know, uh, seven, five, like five, six, seven yards, and you're completing 70% of the time, that's way more efficient for your offense. You're always getting, you know, five, six, seven yards every single time you throw that pass. So efficiency is where a big part of, and this it comes back into the, the comment that was just showed up about Teddy Bridgewater as compared to Drew Locke. Well, the offense might be a lot more efficient with Teddy Bridgewater than it will be with Drew Locke because Drew Locke likes to throw the ball down the field and Teddy Bridgewater is just going to take what's given to him.
1: And I just want to throw this out there too, is that uh, <laughs> Drew Locke wasn't efficient as throwing the deep ball last year. No, he, he, he re- was re- second worst. And even going past that over the last few games, like it was marginal improvement at the best. I mean, let's see, as soon as pro football focus loads, I'll get to it here a little bit. Um, I mean, he had a 31% yeah, 31, 32% uh, just the completion percentage on deep passes overall in the season, 41.7. So just marginal improvement at, at, at best over that. Wasn't exactly more accurate or anything. So
0: and Juwan James coming in here with a great comment. I love this name, by the way, as well. This is awesome. Uh, my problem is when Drew will throw 20 yards into double coverage when a guy is open 10 yards down the field. And that that's really the biggest thing about Drew Locke. And that's something that I've hammered multiple times. And, and Eric, you have you and I have talked about it and broke it down I don't even know how many times on the Dove Valley Deep Divers.
1: Uh, I love decision taking making. shots. I love I taking too. shots. But you can't pass. You can't leave play, yards out there on the field. You're not going to win games if you do that. That's a yeah. big sticking point with me with running backs. I remember so many people were talking about, "Oh, Ronnie Hillman's so great" or "Does so well." Well, Ronnie Hillman consistently left yards out on the field. That's one big reason why I didn't like him. When you miss a yard, ten yards downfield, and to throw into t- double coverage, it's a terrible read. It's over aggressiveness, which I'm not a fan of, and you're leaving yards out there on the field.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's the biggest thing. Is Sorry the, to the, the, no, you're good because you, you, you've pretty much said exactly what I was going to say. You're, you're leaving yards out there. You're not taking what the defense is going to give you. And there, there's a, there's a, a fine line between just always taking the check down and, and taking that, which is what Teddy Bridgewater likes to do. But uh, it's, there's that fine line of taking what the defense gives you and, and maximizing every single yard yardage gain opportunity you can get. And when, and that was a big thing with drew last year was his decision making is um, his decision making just wasn't, wasn't very good. It, forcing balls into a triple double, triple coverage, um, not taking what was given to him, throwing the football out of bounds when he had the opportunity to run the football. Uh, and I mean, yeah, there's some nitpicky, start parts into that but at the same time like if you're going to throw it a- Eric and I got into a fight about it. I still stand the same way. Uh, the, the interception he threw against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs in the red zone, and then a couple weeks later, he was against the Los Angeles Chargers and threw essentially the same interception, running to his left and throwing the ball against his body into tight coverage. Uh, he missed uh, against Kansas City. I will be fair; he missed the underneath defender. The he was just trying to make a play. the The Chargers game, it, it went off the receiver's hands. He got to catch that football. Um, but that's a decision you you can't make there, especially when you have open field to run and in, run into and go gain three or four yards. If you're going to force the football into tight windows, you you can't do that. Robert jumping in here, Robert Kaslow, who always has great football questions here. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, please define vertical in football terms. Uh, vertical is downfield. Anything or dropping. Uh, yeah, anything vertical or is, <laughs> is 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 downfield. If you're going to push the ball vertically down the football field, you're pushing the ball uh, down the field more than 20 yards, typically. Uh, 15 to 20 yards, that's where explosive plays happen. So if you're going to get vertical with your offense, you want to have explosive plays happen. Uh, vertical, as far as athleticism goes, is jumping as high as you possibly can and uh, yeah. going up and getting the football. So a guy like Cortland Sutton, who has a 41-inch vertical, is jumping as high as he possibly can. But if you're talking about vertical and, and specific football terms typically in the way that i would say that is you're pushing the ball down the field more than 20 yards
1: and i want to grab a couple comments here real quick before we get out of here again um colby garner says pat Shermer's concepts were 20 plus yards that's why la wanted Shermer. he wanted the casey offense um neither of those is true that's not yeah. what that those offenses are i mean every almost every play pat Shermer has there's one route that's over 15 yards but that's just common practice in the nfl you always have a deep shot pretty consistently out unless your quarterback just can't really do that like you're always having a consistently 20 yard you typically have a one that's 15 yard plus you have one or two that sit between 10 and 15 and then you have one that's under 10 with the dump off as well yeah i mean some variation there but you always have at least one of each his concepts so, weren't just 20 yard plus yards i don't know where that false narrative came from and simple look into what pat schumer runs on offense is easily proves that as a false narrative. And then I want to grab this one from Juwan James said, no one noticed my Juwan James with the histrod? Heistatron? Heist-a-tron? Profile pic- profile picture joke? Um, I actually didn't even get the ju- uh, Juwan James joke until like I caught somebody in the chat say uh, easy to talk from your home couch. Like it just didn't click because I've just erased him from my memory.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, hi, Citron. That's a, that's a Transformers joke And I'm not really caught up on my uh, Transformers. David, what's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Robert with another, with another great, great question here, because there, this is one of those things that multiple things can be true as well. Do slot or boundary wide receivers do more vertical routes? Again, multiple things can be true here, depending on the, the player that you have in the slot, uh, Slot routes, uh, slot wide receivers. Uh, you you typically think shorter, quicker, faster guys, uh, twitchy guys that really you know exploit the middle of the field. But something that's coming into the NFL and it's really especially the college game, the slot fade. Uh, slot fade. So you, essentially, you're just fading to the outside, to the, towards the boundary, and then your go- your boundary receiver is going to cut underneath, and that's how you kind of create that uh, create the multitude of concept there. So I can't I, I can't remember exactly what that concept's called, but you, that that slot fade, you will see KJ Hamler, especially if you go back and watch the the Penn State tape that he had um, when when he was back in college. KJ Hamill ran a lot of vertical routes from the slot and it like there's, there is a, there's a, there's a point for each one of them to be able to do so. Now, Typically, what you will do is you will have that backside boundary receiver, that backside guy, like your X receiver, maybe even a Z receiver. Um, they will run deep posts, deep over routes, and go routes, or even deep comeback routes. So vertical routes, getting down the field, the deep over, the deep post, the deep go, you will see that more typically to boundary receivers. But slot guys do that a lot, and especially if you want to get creative with your offense, that's the best way to do so is to have your slot your slot receiver run those deep out routes, the deep boundary routes and and the deep fade routes.
1: And great to see you, David Kilgore in here. Um, He asks, do you guys see us going after um, DeCastro or Sherman? Uh, No, I think David DeCastro is pretty much um, close to being done. His ankle seems pretty messed up. Um, Man, Sherman, I'm not, uh, the name's not ringing a bell. Are are you talking,
0: are you talking Richard Sherman, David, Uh, come back to us on the chat there. Uh, John's shaking his
1: head. Yes. For Richard Sherman. Um, no, at this point, I don't think he can fit the scheme. I mean, he's very much a cover three press corner and that's just not what Vic Fangio does. Yeah. Um, so I just don't see it. And I just don't see the need for him either.
0: Uh, slide and glide bros. What's up? Uh, what's going on, man? We appreciate you for joining in here. Nothing to say, just showing some love with the $2 super chat. We appreciate you guys. Uh, let's see here. Uh Savage Boy Kev jumping in on Twitch. I want to uh, just uh, talk about this really fast. Do you guys talk about the Broncos roster rankings on Pro Football Focus yet? We have not tonight. I, I want to give you a shout-out on that. We might talk about that later tomorrow. Uh, running out of time here tonight – or not tomorrow, uh, later next week. Uh, I think that might be a, a good co- a topic of conversation because the Broncos, I think, came in with the 11th-ranked roster uh, per pro football focus. And I think it was ESPN that kind of joined in with that as well. So um, Savage Boy, we, we, uh, Kev, we, we appreciate the comment. And unfortunately we're not going to get that tonight because this is pretty much going to do it for us tonight on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for Bwana Beast, the man behind the scenes, John Cronenberg at John K M H H. Guys, while you are at it, make sure you guys are following at dvdd underscore pod. That's the podcast account. You're going to find out exactly what we're talking about every single night on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. And as well, go to at Mile High Huddle. Follow that account. That's the mother account. That's where you're going to get breaking news and analysis on your Denver Broncos, including film breakdowns, opinion articles, anything to, uh, to suit your fancy uh, from your uh, your favorite uh, huddle up podcast and uh, mile high huddle personalities, including myself and Eric and Nick and Carl and Chad and Zach, anybody on milehighhuddle.com, anything regarding the Denver Broncos, you're going to find it there at mile high huddle Facebook users. Make sure you guys go to facebook.com slash mile high huddle and become a supporter. Click that blue, become a supporter button. It's a $5 a month subscription, I believe. And you're going to get premium content from my co-host here, Eric trickle in the trickle zone, as well as uh, Zach Kelberman in Kelberman's corner. Now, Eric, what do you got going on on the trickle zone this week? I know you're back after a two week vacation. What's up, man.
1: Well, it wasn't really a vacation. I mean, last week my mother-in-law and her wife came down celebrating my daughter's birthday. Um, since they had to work on Monday, they couldn't come down for the actual birthday party. Like it wasn't a vacation whatsoever, but, uh, Coming back for it, we're going to be talking about training camp battles to keep an eye on on the offensive side of the ball outside of quarterback. Interior offensive line. Yes. Six receiver spot. Backup tight end. Running back. Melvin Gordon, Devonta Williams is going to get some attention. We're going to be talking about that kind of stuff like that. And, yeah, I'll see you guys tomorrow at noon Mountain Time for that.
0: You can't wait to find out who's going to win wide receiver five. Like, honestly, that is going to be the battle to watch. Tyree Cleveland. Uh, Who man? You mean wide I, I, I hope so. Wide receiver six. Okay, so you think so, you think <laughs> they're going to go six deep this year? Okay, I'm I'm about it. I'm about it. Who's who you got right now off the top of your head? Nah, never mind we're gonna we'll, i'm not gonna spoil anything we'll let you guys check that out the trickle zone tomorrow uh guys if you're financially able to do so and to wrap this up just a little bit if you're financially able to do so and want to show a great amount of support it's a really great way to advertise for us but also we got some good stuff over at huddleuppod.com that's the merch booth guys you're gonna get some hats there's t-shirts there's a face mask there's hoodies a coffee cup if you want there's a onesie for your baby if that suits your fancy anything for the guys anything for the gals huddleuppod.com show your support for for the show that way. Uh, there's a new Dove Valley Deep Diver shirt. It's a white shirt with the blue and orange logo. It's my favorite shirt if, if you ask me. On the huddlepod.com uh, website right now. And if not, if you guys are not financially able to do so, or if just support and merch of a podcast is not your thing, not necessarily your fancy, there's three things that everybody needs to be doing right now. And you should have been doing this. I've been preaching this for a long time, over a year now. Subscribe wherever you guys are watching this, whether it's on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, does not matter. Subscribe to mile high huddle. Like every video you guys see, especially on YouTube. That's a really great way to support the show and, if you love it, share it, share it out in front of as many Broncos fans as you possibly can get as many eyes as possible on what we're doing here at mile high huddle to help us grow our following is the most organic way you can do to support the show. We really appreciate your guys's love and support. Now, before we get out of here, Eric, anything else? Any last words?
1: Yeah, I got to say is that um George Payton is not a yes man. John Elway isn't in charge, he's not using Payton as a a puppet or whatever. George Payton's team, Elway, stepped away. He's not the director of player personnel. He's the, what is it, the president of football operations. That's it. He's not handling much to do with the roster at all. He was asked for some opinions when it came to uh, the draft. That's it. But George Payton was the one who made the choice there. John Elway's job is basically the football operations of it, traveling logistics, stuff like that. Not much to do with the roster. Stop with this George Payton being a yes man stuff. Like, I don't know where that's coming from, but it's getting tiring. I think that's something from a, a certain uh, fan radio show, but uh, I mean, it's just getting Ooh. nuts like George well, Payton is not a yes man. So stupid. Get well, you know
0: the, you know the only thing they do over there is tell the truth. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know that if somebody tells you that they're telling the truth, they're just like leading you you into a Ponzi scheme where they're, all they're going to do is just say their opinion without any basis in fact or anything like that. But yep. ooh, too many shots fired. Sorry, guys.
1: That uh, <laughs> was full of shots being fired from us, man. I love it when we get to do that. Fire off from shots at people.
0: I love it. I you know I, I I like to fire shots at pretty much anybody I can, especially you, Eric. You job of the hut looking mother. That. So,
1: so I think it was Charlie <laughs> okay. Beagle who came in and gave us a uh, comedian reference every, earlier, and I was going to ask him who because I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure I got the comedian reference, so I googled it, and it was definitely a very obvious one: Laurel and Hardy. Like You're definitely Laurel. I'm definitely Hardy. I think that's <laughs> pretty much obvious. So, uh, If you're not sure what I'm familiar, Lance, you should actually Google that.
0: I, but I'm going to have to because I'm not sure of the reference there. But anyways, guys, that's going to do it for us on the Dub Valley Deep Divers podcast. Thank you all for your love and support, and thank you all for joining us tonight. You all stay safe. Take care. Hey, have a great 4th of July weekend. Stay safe. Don't do anything dumb. Stay out of trouble. Keep, your, keep from blowing your fingers off with fireworks.
1: Take care. We'll see Don't you guys up on the pitching mound of at Yankee stadium.
0: I'm about it. I'm about it. If you want to do that, go ahead. Like, I want to see that. I, w- I want to watch that on sports center next week. You guys stay safe. Take care. Have a great weekend. And as always, before we get out of here, got to give the obligatory salute and go Broncos. I thought. You-